Baltimoreans is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find, find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. You're listening to Baltimoreans, the home of the all-weather fan. My name is Sam Dingman. This is Alan Smith. Let's get stupid. Baltimoreans. Hello, Baltimoreans. How are y'all doing? Are you worried about Maddie? We're we're worried about Maddie here. Batty Max stops. We are we are in full. <laughs> did I? What did I just say? You did just say Batty Matt stops. I meant Maddie backstops. Well, he's not backstopping anything. So our only hope is that it becomes Batty Max stops and hits the ball. <laughs> <laughs> hits it so hard it would stop a Mack truck. I don't know. Daddy Mac will make you. Chris Cross will make you. <laughs> jump, jump. Let's jump into this intro one more time. <laughs> No sense in rushing it. Let's just ease in. Ease in. <laughs> Welcome, Baltimoreans, to episode 119. Getting close. Getting close to uh, one-third of a circle. Yeah. Follow that's my a good logic point. on that? That's a good point. We're nearly two, uh, we're, we're nearly we're nearly one-third of the way there. That's right. And the whole podcast is essentially going in circles, so it, it works out. <laughs> and that circle, uh, making a very nice perimeter for your drain. <laughs> Tonight on the show, ladies and gentlemen, quite a number of segments exquisitely and carefully planned. Very uh, meticulous, our planning. Very meticulous. Um, We will be talking to our good friend and fellow fantasy baseball nerd, Chris Luther. Yes, indeed. um, Who, among his many talents, hosts a stand-up showcase called Cherry Poppin' Standies, which you should check out if you're ever in Manhattan at the right time. Uh... It sounds exactly like what it is, and if you don't know what that sounds like, just just mull the words cherry pop and sandies over in your mouth a few times, and you'll probably get there. But first, 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 it's going to be everyone's favorite and our most popular recurring <laughs> segment here on Baltimoreans, the Rocky Coppinger Franchise Report. Now, we pause every week to uh, remember Rocky Coppinger. But this week, it's particularly apropos. Yes. Because our good friends over at the Section 336 podcast, they, uh, on their episode this week, annou- well, this week, which by the time you hear this will be last week. Stay with me. <laughs> Stay with me. This is how this works, ladies and gentlemen. New media. Uh, so on their most recent... Hate delay. <laughs> their most recent episode, let's call it, they announced uh, something very exciting, which is the theme for their... Night at the Yards promotion, which they do every summer, and you can find out more about that if you go over to section336.com, but that's where you can buy a ticket and spend an evening hanging out with Maddie Strokes, Jay Strokes, and the Zany Burt Rohde. Zany Burt Rohde, I think, is an official nickname. Maddie Strokes and Jay Strokes I just made up right now, <laughs> and I hope are not offensive to our esteemed colleagues. Anyway, uh, you can buy a ticket and hang out with them at an Orioles game at Oriole Park this summer, and the theme... For the night, this year is Obscure Orioles, and they'd like you to, if you buy a ticket and come to that game, they'd like you to wear a jersey or perhaps a jersey celebrating your favorite Obscure Oriole. I'm going to ask for a quick ruling here from uh, Josh and or Matt and or Bert, if y'all are listening. Uh, Would a Jeremy Guthrie jersey qualify for a an Obscure Oriole? I I think it's a two-part question, because first of all, is an opening day starter however poor the pitching rotation may have been in the years that Jeremy Guthrie anchored it, is that obscure enough for Obscure Oriole Night? And then also the second part is that whole Kansas City kerfuffle. Are we are we allowed to wear Jeremy Guthrie <laughs> jerseys in public yet, or is it still too soon? If I may, mm-hmm. I am going to issue a ruling, and I'll be interested to see what they think about this, that uh, obscure is not the right adjective for Jeremy Guthrie, uh, but much maligned is. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> anyway, we're we're celebrating Rocky Coppinger this week as we always do, uh, but in particular this week because he happens to be my favorite obscure Oriole. And we will be discussing a number of interesting things. In particular, I think, ladies and gentlemen, that I, Sam Dingman, co-host of the Baltimoreans podcast, I have cracked the Buck Showalter code. So stay tuned for that. But first, Alan Smith, you have some thoughts about where we stand here on episode 119. I do, but you're not going to like them. (laughs) I rarely do. (laughs) 
Well, episode 119, Sam, reminds us of the world record 119th steal recorded by one Ricky Henderson on August 26th, 1982, about six months before my birth, which broke the previous modern era record of steals. Ricky would, of course, go on to swipe 130 total bags in that season, a record which stands to this very day. What is less well-known, however, but equally significant in baseball history, is a remarkable run by a fellow Oakland A at that time, Mr. Walt Jockety, who at that moment was directing the Oakland farm system in conjunction with legendary A's manager Billy Martin throughout the 1982 season. Jockety is credited with what baseball historians now view as one of the unbreakable records in all of sports, 119 consecutive days of only eating park food over the course of a season. Chicken fingers, waffle fries, corn dogs, those little plastic cups filled with ice cream, a legendary 452 pounds of ballpark food disappeared into this man's prodigious maw over the course of those magical 119 days. He drank enough cheap beer to swamp an ark and went through so many peanuts and cracker jacks that the Walla Walla Blue Oxen installed a pile of gold-plated snack refuse around his traditional seat near the first base dugout. Reached for interview to reflect on those days, popcorn salesman Mike Curtis, who worked the Grapefruit League circuit in the 1980s, got choked up. Jock was always just a gentleman, even though you knew he was suffering going after that record, Curtis said, his voice cracking with emotion. But he always had time to stop, chat, ask after the wife, and he was always a good tipper. There are more than a few sons of vendors out there named Walt, I'll tell you that. Jockety did suffer some travails in the pursuit of the record. On day 72, one junior member of the A's staff described a particular visit to the men's room after his boss in harrowing economic terms, saying that, quote, Walt produced more gross domestic product in an afternoon than Burundi produced in a year. But through digestive trouble and a shocking lack of anything with chlorophyll, Jockety not only survived, he thrived. Asked to reflect on his own record-breaking summer years later from the comfortable GM office in Cincinnati, Jockety waxed lyrical on obliterating Skeeter Franklin's record of 66 straight days of ballpark food, saying, You know, the circuit is just easier now than it was back in my day, he said, fingers threaded comfortably over the legendary gastrointestinal track. Now you've got all these craft beers, and even some low-fat options. You know what I saw last year in New York? A salad. Don't that just beat all? But you know, once you get in a groove, days go by and you don't even notice it's happening. Eaters touch. You just get in a zone and the whole digestive process seems to slow way down. Damn, that was delicious. You know what I'd go for right now? I'd go for some nachos. Verily, Morgan Spurlock has nothing on Walt Jockety, who finally ended his own streak, not because he was tired of stale buns on his kielbasa, but because a particularly interesting 12-year-old prospect from Idaho Falls invited him over for a home-cooked meal. Walt, intent on keeping track of young talent, finally tucked into something that hadn't come out of a deep fryer or a deep freezer in the last 20 minutes. And the undeniable truth is that his baseball eye and iron gut were in lockstep on that summer evening, Grandmother Giambi made some mean meatballs. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen to the Rocky Coppinger Franchise Report, where each week we take the three most pressing news items from Birdland and beyond and assign them a ranking ranging from strikeout to home run. First up on this week's Rocky Coppinger Franchise Report, ladies and gentlemen, as teased in the intro, <laughs> I Mere have, moments ago. <laughs> I have cracked the Buck Showalter code. Alan Smith, how would you rank... My successful cracking of the Buckshow Walter code. Before I tell now you what I'm, it is. I'm going in blind. I'm going in blind. So I'm going to rank it one Jonathan Scope swing and a miss. What? At a pitch. Not because I don't trust you. I almost don't want to share it with you now. Because I'm totally swinging blind, much like <laughs> Jonathan Scope. <laughs> 
grip and rip. No idea where it's going to happen. No idea where we're going. Just all along for the ride. <laughs> grip and rip, baby. Maybe maybe we'll hit something. It's hard to see. <laughs> Here it is. Okay. It's hit very me. simple. Defense. I think defense is the prime Buck Showalter directive. Now, stay with me. Okay. Stay with me. No one has been able to figure out how it is possible that Buck Showalter, with a team that every advanced statistical measurer has looked at for the last several seasons and picked nothing above a fourth-place finish, and Buck Showalter has taken them to a winning record all three of the last three seasons and the playoffs in two of those three, a division title last year. Mm Mm-hmm. And no one can figure out what it is. No one can figure out how to quantify the Showalter effect. And this entire theory, for me, springs from a tweet I saw earlier today from Steve Maluski, who covers the Orioles for Masson. And it was related to Steve Lombardozzi. And we, several times on this show, have lamented the fact that Steve Lombardozzi was banished to AAA Siberia Mm -hmm. uh, last year when it seemed like when it seemed like we had better options up the middle who were not named Ryan Flaherty. And uh, we instead went with the Ryan Flaherty-Jonathan Scope experience instead of Steve Lombardozzi, who was clearly a better offensive player. But as Steve Maluski pointed out in his tweet today, as did several of the other Orioles beat writers, Lombardozzi skipped a couple of throws in the inner squad game today. Mm. His his throwing arm is not quite there. Yeah, and one thing that you have to say about Jonathan Scope as he as he fumbles his way towards being relevant at the plate is, dude has a cannon. Dude has a cannon, and this is the thing. It was then pointed out in uh, some of the analysis after Steve Maluski wrote this that that was the reason that Lombardozzi didn't stick at the major league level last year because Buck didn't feel like he could hack it defensively. And then I started thinking about a litany of other guys who we have signed and who seemed like at least decent to good offensive contributors, but who couldn't, couldn't break the major league roster. We would, who at a certain point disappeared from the roster and were never seen or heard from again when the Ryan Flaherty's of the world continued to, continued just... to get meaningful innings. Now, let me run it down for you because it's not just Steve Lombardozzi. I'm talking about Omar Quintanilla. Uh huh. I'm talking about Wilson Bedemit. Oh, my gosh. I'm talking about Nick the Stick Wilson. Johnson. Now, I know in some of those cases, there were injuries and that played a big role. But the other thing that is a through line with all of those guys, and I'm sure I'm leaving some out too, is that at critical moments, defensively, they were not able to get it done on the routine plays. Mm. And I think Buck has an incredibly short leash on that. Explain Mark Reynolds. Mark Reynolds, once he was moved to first base, did a great yeah, job. That's true. That's true. And also, talk about grip and rip. I mean, Mark Reynolds was essentially Jonathan Scope, except at first base, right? That's true. That's true. Interesting. Interesting. So it seems to me like maybe uh, Showalter is even more in the uh, following in the footsteps of Earl Weaver than we had previously realized. Yeah. I've heard some people say that he has nothing in common with Roe Weaver, but a lot of that to me, uh, or a lot of that in the argument that I heard, I heard this most recently on um, Bird's Eye View when they had a, a, an interesting interview this week with some gentleman from Baseball Prospectus who wrote the Orioles section of Baseball Prospectus. I'm forgetting the gentleman's name. But he was basically saying that unlike the Earl Weaver days, these Orioles are not homegrown talent. There's a couple of them, Manny... Weeders, but most of these people are um, acquired through trade or through Dan Duquette machinations, um, which is interesting to me to think about. But also, it, it seems to me like the uh, the the similarity there of you know pitching defense and three run home runs. This has been such a home run heavy team for a long time that it seems like Buck. His number one priority is defense. His number two priority is at least be able to blunder into a home run. Sure, sure. Yeah. But, I mean, I guess, you know, and I uh, I don't know if people realize this, but I'm being a little hyperbolic and suggesting that I've cracked the Buckshow Walter code. <laughs> I obviously don't think it's this simple. But I guess what I mean is I think 
a lot of times when we try to quantify the buck effect, we overlook defense yeah. as the main criterion that he has. As if I may, d- does the entire um, new statistical agenda. <laughs> uh, yes, it's true. Our, our new statistical overlords, as they admit, I think, yeah. have yet to been a, have yet to be able to settle on a uh, a universally applicable defensive metric. Yeah. Uh, we're not sure if we want to go defensive runs saved or ultimate zone rating. Uh, just we've sort of thrown stupid. out fielding percentage. It's just stupid to compare any like any metric, any statistical analysis of how well a shortstop plays a, uh, that position with how well a first baseman plays that position. They're just not like they shouldn't if advanced metrics can ever find a a measure that is successful. It has to be internal to position because the way you play those positions are so different and so radically unlike each other that any metric that tries to define them across spectrum is silly. And it's got to take into account turf versus natural grass, too. Yeah, but I think that like that, at least if you're taking uh, if you're comparing people who play shortstop. You will at least have, uh, you know, people who play shortstop as your as your comparison, and sometimes they will be playing on grass, and sometimes they'll be playing on like that's a good splits for me. But I think that any any statistic that tries to be universal on defense is dumb. Like yeah. I don't care what a pitcher's fielding percentage is. I don't I don't care. <laughs> it's it's not it's not relevant. <laughs> uh, are you saying Mark Burley is not a Hall of Famer, Alan? Smith? I am not saying that he's a first <laughs> ballot Hall of Famer, but. <laughs> Anyway, I guess I guess all I really wanted to say about this is that I feel like a lot of times when we have the like, how does he do it conversation about Buck Showalter, we forget to think about the fact that the conversation seems to begin with defense for him and emanate from that point. Item number two on this week's franchise report, um, one of our best defenders seems to uh, be a little bit of a, of a noodle arm so far this year. <laughs> uh, Matt Weider has played six innings behind the plate. And it broke him. Sam, what ranking would you give the news that the, the the piece that we were hoping would come back, and not just come back, but really come back and anchor a team that has otherwise lost some offense, may be a bit on the shelf? I am going to give it one iPhone weather app forecast, by which I mean to say I looked at my iPhone's weather forecast for tomorrow here in the fair city of New York, and it makes no goddamn sense. <laughs> It says that it's supposed to start snowing at noon, and it also says that there's going to be a high of 52. <laughs> These two things cannot exist within the same universe, my friends. And I feel somewhat similarly about the Matt Wieters situation. Um, it is entire. I think it's 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 very likely that what's going on is we're just seeing an abundance of caution on the part of the team. Tommy John surgery is obviously extremely serious, and I think it's probably a little bit more unknown terrain with position players than it is with pitcher there's a very clear rehab process laid out for pitchers with position players it's a little bit more of the wild west it seems like so i think we want to be very careful um in doing that and from that standpoint we could be talking about it's going to be 52 degrees tomorrow we just need to make sure that we get through the early morning hours if you will accept this metaphor, basically what I mean is we just got to get Matt to the end of spring training without inflaming things too much, and he's going to be fine once the regular season starts. On the flip side, Matt Weider's caught an absurd number of innings right off the bat from the time he was called up to the major leagues and didn't really stop. But that affects your knees, right? I mean, that's the thing, right? Like a catcher, a catcher's knees might be going bad. His lower back may be barking, but like... I can't imagine that he was throwing down to second base so much that his arm fell apart. That's well, crazy. Well, it, perhaps. Perhaps it is. But the the number of times that we saw Matt Wieters throw from his knees, the number of times that we saw him throw behind runners at first base, and the number of innings that you have to play as an amateur to get to the point where you are a major leaguer is incredibly significant. And it may just be that his arm is giving out. Uh, a little bit earlier than most catchers' arms do. Um, and in, if that is the case, then it's not going to be 52 degrees tomorrow. It's still winter, and it's going to snow, and we have to figure out what role Matt Wieters has on this team. Well, one of the things that I thought was very interesting was that Buck Showalter has essentially said that if Matt can't catch, then he's not sure there's a roster spot for him, which really backs up your defense-first sort of mentality because... It, I, you know, I think Weeders 
in a in when Weeters is healthy, he is at least a good DH. He's a decent DH. You know, he's not maybe the the best hitter out there, but he's a solid designated hitter. And to have that not be even worth a roster spot to Buck speaks volumes to me. He was having the best offensive season of his career last year, and he got a lot more, a much more significant percentage of his time at DH than he ever had before. I hope that the ranking I'm about to give you is hyperbolic and absurd and that the 52 degrees of tomorrow will melt it away. But I'm going to give this ranking one beer purchased out of pity for a uh, dilapidated and washed up old almost was but never quite was Matt Wieters 15 years from now in a broken down Baltimore bar. Well, that... uh... (laughs) That's pretty bleak, Smith. <laughs> because I think that Matt Wieters can't is... even give the man a job as a roving international <laughs> scout. Well, Jeez. He, he he may be scout. He's just drunk this particular evening. <laughs> okay. Uh, I I think that Wieters is interestingly enough one of those few homegrown talents. He came up through our system. He's been the savior of the Orioles for a long time, and we've talked many times on this podcast about would we be okay if this was the Wieters ceiling and if. You know, he didn't end up ever being quite the Mike Piazza with also defense that we had hoped he would be. But I I do think, you know, he has had a pretty decent career. Obviously, he's an amazing defensive catcher, uh, but he never quite turned the corner in those expectations for him as an offensive player. And it feels to me like every time in his career when he started to get that momentum going and he's rattled off 30 games of the Matt Weeders we all hoped and thought he could be, something seems to always go wrong. And it just reminds me of these stories of people who, if only they'd put me in, we could have won the big game in high school, who's just sort of like, there's always an excuse and there's always a reason why the career didn't quite go where you wanted it to go. And I realize that 99.999% of professional athletes have that burden to bear is that they had more potential than they were able to realize or an injury derailed them or something. We can't all be (laughs) Michael Jordans who not only have the athletic talent but have the drive and the whatever to put it all together. But it does seem to me that Weeders may be someone who just doesn't ever quite get everything pumping in the same direction at the same time. So as we talk ourselves out onto the ledge, let's go ahead and move along to item number three on this week's franchise report. Which is, item number three is that all of the sports happiness that I have been experiencing in the early parts of 2015 is turning to ash in my mouth simultaneously. Uh Uh-oh. And I don't really know that I can continue being a sports fan. Explain, explain. Now, this is, of course, the home of the all-weather fan here on Baltimoreans. So, it is a thick and thin sporting experience. But... The other teams that I have been following and supporting include the University of Virginia Cavaliers, who uh, were at one point the one of two undefeated teams late in the season and had what appeared to be a gangbusters of a season going, only to drop two of their last three games and essentially limp into the, uh, the NCAA. By the time you're all listening to this, we will know whether the University of Virginia men's team was so bad as to flame out in the first rounds as a number two seed or whether they've at least scraped together a respectable Sweet 16 showing. But the promise of that team in the early going has not so far managed to keep itself up. Uh, meanwhile, the Tottenham Hotspur, uh, my my English premiership team, has gone from a frisky team who may end up in the top four and thus in the Champions League to falling out of the top four and just absolutely reverting to Tottenham form and shitting the bed in big games. And then... The only other sports team that I watch regularly, the Philadelphia Eagles, which I've basically been boycotting because I think football is stupid, gutted the entire team and sent all of the players that I previously liked to other squads. So I ask you, Sam, in a world in which the teams appear to have no loyalty or love for we as fans, what ranking would you give me just not going full sports hermit for the rest of 2015 (laughs) and walling myself into a bathroom? (laughs) A lot of hyperbole (laughs) coming at me from across the desk here tonight, ladies and gentlemen. I'm on edge. (laughs) Smith is on some cask of Amontillado (laughs) type of desperation here. Um, I would give you... Those first games of the NCAA tournament, though, have been been very exciting. (laughs) I would... (laughs) 
<laughs> I would give you having that response to uh, the gradual degradation of your favorite teams. What would I give that? I would give it. Um, I would give it one MC Escher drawing. <laughs> okay. Because I think it it looks bad on paper, but it it's not actually physically real. Okay. Because interesting. I think you of all people, Smith, are capable of zooming out and looking at the larger narratives that are that are in play here. And I think if uh, I don't know anything about soccer or <laughs> about basketball, but here I do know a little bit at least about uh, the larger narratives that are going on around the NFL. And let's look at your boy from the 49ers, a linebacker who Ooh. retired at age 24 this week. Mm-hmm. In the footsteps of the guy the previous week. Good pull. Who retired at the age of 26 now, of course. I don't have their names. but um, I'm still impressed. I think the, the fact that they did that as, by way of looking out for their long-term uh, mental and physical well-being and the conversation that that generated um, is incredibly exciting because... This is the kind of thing that for a long time seemed like it was never going to reach a tipping point. It seemed like we were never going to get to a place where we zoomed out far enough on the on-field competition of the NFL uh, that we could evaluate the -the off-the-field issues, which are many when we talk about the NFL. Uh, But this one in particular... It just seemed like how many more people were going to have to end up committing suicide or end up in mental institutions or just forgetting their kids' names and never having that be reported on before we started to really look at the physical health issue in the NFL. Yeah, and and I think that's really interesting. And I think that um, uh, Chris Borland is the, the, the young one, the guy who was re- really young. For the 49ers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Patrick Willis was the, um, the eight-time pro bowler who is in no way appearing to, to slow down as a, as, a, as a career player, but has, has also, also opted to stop playing the game. And I think that that's, that's a really interesting and exciting moment, actually, in, in professional sports, because that's the first time when, it seems to me, those decisions have been from people who really matter. And I think it's one of the interesting things about like a discussion we've had a lot on this show about someone who's coming out of the closet and being... A, a gay football player and that so far in sports it's happened at least in american sports it's happened but it's happened around the edges it's happened as people were retiring it's happened to people who maybe weren't quite like stars or weren't quite people who were super uh super a big deal and i know that people have quit football for fear of health issues but they haven't been people like borland who is an up-and-coming you know a, a stalwart and people knew his name and it was a big deal or Willis who was a pro bowler exactly and I think that that's a very interesting moment because it's it, it has it has tilted to not just people walking away who didn't have as much to lose ex- only the only thing they had to lose was their health they weren't pulling down the big paychecks to a star leaving the game now all of a sudden it's compounding the problem of um, parents not letting their kids play peewee football and is now like happening to to their the people who they hoped would be future stalwarts of the game yeah well and look you know there's uh there's a lot of silly uh responses to this that have been happening online people are saying like you know if you don't if if you don't think uh if you think there's something wrong with the gladiatorial nature of football then you're anti-football and you're anti-america and obviously that's an idiotic <laughs> argument and well, there's... It, it's true for me in both cases i, I do hate both football and america <laughs> uh this coming from the show that last week declared being white was a disorder um so it's obvious where we stand but uh you know so obviously Wait, where, where we stand there's gonna be <laughs> there's gonna be there's gonna be bombastically we stand bombastically we stand, yes um but the, thi- the the important thing about the fact that it's these guys who are taking early retirement is we have to talk about this now. Yeah. We have to. And the NFL has to talk about it, and they have to talk about it with the other players who are, I'm sure, doing some soul-searching when guys like that leave money on the table. Right. 
And and one of the the moronic responses to this has been people saying like, well, that that young man is just foolish. He's leaving five hundred thousand dollars confirmed salary on the table next year. That is true. The He's re- leaving it on the table. The response to which, of course, is in exchange for that, he is going to remember the names of his children. Well, hopefully. but also, I mean, what it's become, and I think is really interesting, is like, you know, people are always like, what would you do for five hundred thousand dollars? Like, what's the craziest thing you do? Would you be in a car accident? Because that's what they're doing. <laughs> Someone just calculated uh, like every time a running back gets tackled, it's something like the equivalent of the pounds per square inch of force on their body of being kicked in the chest by a horse. That happens like 250 times a season. Right. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> like that's, that's completely insane. So what ranking would you give yourself, Smith? Um, I, by the way, basically, I guess what I'm saying is I think you of all people are capable of, right. I know it seems bad right now. <laughs> I know it seems like, uh, but the reality is that if you zoom out far enough, there are just as many things to keep you out of the, the Amontillado basement yeah. as, as there ever have been. Yes, it's true. Um, I think, I, I think the ranking I think the ranking that I would give uh, the likeliness of this happening is one episode of Radio Lab on <laughs> WNYC <laughs> because uh, what <laughs> WNYC's Radio Lab and a fantastic podcast if you don't already listen um, is many things but one of the things that it does extraordinarily well is it takes a large issue and explores sides of it that you never thought were possible or had not previously occurred to you when thinking about things like time or sleep or the placebo effect. Um, side, side moment. I don't think Radio Lab has been very good recently, but go back and listen to the old stuff. It's, it's just fantastic. Um, <laughs> Controversy tonight, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. But I think that um, one thing I can always fall back on in, in sports as my individual teams inevitably, inevitably let me down um, because I seem to pick teams that uh, maybe have moments of moments in the sun but are not perennial favorites and fly too close to that sun only to plummet to the ground much harder than they, they thought possible um, is that I have always been able to go back to a sort of social anthropological lens of watching sports where I explore things from different angles which is one of the things that I love the most about this podcast uh, is picking up on things and on storylines that are maybe not the traditional narrative about a sporting event uh and i think that that at least will keep me coming back to sports even if it is without uh even even if it was is with some blood loss around the specifics of my team's demise well there it is ladies and gentlemen alan smith talking himself off the ledge (laughs) at least for the moment (laughs) don't push me virginia you better make at least a sweet 16 and i'm jumping (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Baltimoreans continues in just a moment ladies and gentlemen we're going to jump on the phone with Mr. Chris Luther uh, coach uh, head coach of the Fightin' Meerkats team in uh, Alan and I's Fantasy League we say that like we own the Fantasy League uh, we definitively don't in any sense of the words you'd care to come up with anyway we're going to talk to Chris about the new pace of game regulations that will be put into effect this year you're listening to Baltimoreans. How do you how do you want to be credited? The the founder of the wildly successful Cherry Pop and Standies stand up comedy series, and also ChrisCan'tLose.com, another website that's mostly done but not completely done. But still, <laughs> all right, you got to be you got to be ready, man. You're going to be getting what we call the Baltimoreans bump after this. <laughs> and I was to the moon, Alice. When I heard at least forty people listen to it. So. <laughs> we we have that's a good day. We can confirm forty. We can definitely <laughs> right. confirm forty. Forty two. Listen. We're not we're not the princes of podcasting over here. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are on the line with our good friend Chris Luther from the Semi-Employed All-Stars League, which is the fantasy league that uh, <laughs> we were talking about earlier on the broadcast this evening. And Chris uh, is a man of many talents. One of them opinions. Not fantasy baseball. Not, no, 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 no. Although I do recall you wisely 
refusing to trade me Gordon Beckham back when Gordon Beckham was a thing. Thing is, in fantasy baseball, like, I think I know baseball, but whenever somebody offers me a trade, I assume they know more than I do. <laughs> so I don't think I've ever accepted a trade, ever. <laughs> in that league, that's a safe bet. There are a bunch of goddamn sharks. <laughs> so, Chris, you're you're here on the line with us tonight because you have some some very strong feelings about the new play clock rules that are going to go into effect in the major leagues this year. Can you can you just tell us uh, the secrets of your heart on that matter? Well, I don't think they've got the play clock yet this year, but they're doing the other things that kind of quicken the game. Right. And the thing that, like, I guess I get why they're doing it at first. I mean, they got hardcore fans like the three of us that are going to watch games no matter what. But if they can get other people, that's better for them, and it's at the expense of our happiness in a way like <laughs> here's that thing you guys love let's completely change it around for people who don't like it <laughs> like, like and they're also like they're talking this week about uh he be the commissioner's open to dropping to 154 really like, yeah i did not he's, see that who is this rob manfred character conversation and the fact that like the game was based on 162 and 154 uh like the records are both of those seasons Right. He'd be okay with talking about it. Like he's like, if it's 105 games, that's something different. But it's like more things that are like, here's a thing that you guys are supposed to love, but let's have less of it. Yeah. <laughs> like you want to come to the stadium for three hours? How about instead you come to the stadium for two and a half? And we're supposed to be like, oh, thank God, thank you. Right. Right. Here's here's fifty dollars for my t- seats, and then I can get out of there faster. Wonderful. <laughs> Well, and I mean, I think you you kind of touched on this <clears throat> in what you were saying. The thing that's weird about it is baseball is already enjoying robust popularity, uh, yeah. especially, you know, with all of the pockmarks all over the NFL right now and all of the issues going on with the NBA. Um, baseball is kind of sitting in the catbird seat, I would say. You know, it, it's, it's not the most popular professional sport, but it's doing really, Great. really well. Yeah, it's doing really, really well, and it's doing that in an era when offense is uh, on the wane. Well, it's doing well, but it's not necessarily doing great in the attention deficit disorder demographic, right? The 18 to 35-year-old males uh, usually is a demographic that they're not necessarily getting and holding. Yeah. But, you know, I I think I agree with you, Chris. It's like like the the ways in which... um, the the uh, feedback groups has changed how cars are made because yeah. you know whenever people look at cars they're like like they look at the 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 um, Volvo and they're like I love how safe it is I wish it could be a little sexier and then they look at like a sports car they look at a, uh, uh, a you know they're like I love how sexy this is I wish it could be safer. And what happens is all of our cars sort of regress toward a mean. And it's like, well, why are you changing the one thing that it used to do well? The only reason, not the only reason, the thing I love the most about baseball is sitting. It's the Volvo. Is, is, <laughs> it, it's, it's the Volvo of sports. It's a safe car. It's a safe car. And why, you know, I, I love sitting and watching a game and it being in the seventh inning and realizing that, like, you know, we're just we're just gonna. The game is maybe already out of hand, and we already know who the who's gonna win. And I like just like having a couple more innings to sit around and drink another beer and think about my day and like reflect and sit in the I sun. Lo- I love that your selling point is the part where it gets boring. You're like, <laughs> my favorite part of this game is when it's for sure boring. I also drove a 1986 Volvo <laughs> for the first four years of my driving life, and it was the greatest car I've ever owned. But- even with like the pacing issues of it, I think one of the most fun times I've ever had at a baseball game was actually I was at a Cleveland Indians game. I think they're against the Mariners, and both of which I hate. And this is like 2000, 2001, sometime around then. And my friend and I were just watching the game, and we're like, "Oh, this next pitch should be a curve, and this county should throw a change or something like that." And then, to me, that's like if you're into the game enough, it's not a slow-paced game, right? That's that. I think I agree with you completely about that. That's my biggest beef want, with they this. They don't care about that part of the fan going watch anyway. I guess, but yeah, but that uh, that's my biggest beef with all of this is that people who say that baseball is slow or boring are incorrect. They just don't understand the game. <laughs> 
on a fundamental level because the thing that's awesome about baseball is that there is a decision being made literally every moment. Like when a guy, one of, so, you know, one of the things that is going on is that the batters aren't going to be allowed to step outside the batter's box. That's part of the game. There is a a strategy to stepping outside of the box. Sometimes it was, uh, what was it? David Ortiz. And I quote, um, that's bullshit. If I can say that on the show, is that gonna get bleeped out? No, nope. oh, no, 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 no. Because no. <laughs> it's it's the thing. It's the part where he's like, I'm thinking about the next pitch. He's thinking about the next pitch. Uh, he's trying to get inside the pit- pitcher's head. The yep. pitcher's inside his head, so he needs a second. And obviously, David Ortiz isn't the only one who does this. Our our own beloved Adam Jones is a very <laughs> takes, a, takes a hike after every pitch. Oh yeah, yeah. Unsnaps the batting glove, snaps it again. Unsnaps the batting glove, snaps it again. And what would what would Noma do? I was just thinking that. Like <laughs> he, he had definitive well, OCD. <laughs> if if, if Nomar was still playing the game, they told him these rules. I think he'd go sit on the bench and pout and not play anymore. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know that he could play. I think he was actually so OCD that he could not bat unless he did that with his gloves. I think he but, said that. The thing is, is like the, the other thing with they're trying to change is they want higher scoring games. So in the end, if this is a thing that's going to help pitchers, isn't that going to set them backwards in that? Where the batters are going to have less to think about. They're going to get struck out more. They're not going to know what's coming. They're going to be taken out of their comfort zone. And the pitchers will have the advantage. So the scores will go down even more. Yeah. And, you know, I think another thing about this is another thing you touched on is like, hey, diehard fans, the people who care the most about baseball and understand it the most, we're going to punish you. We're going to take away the the part of the game that you like the most. We're going to disrupt the natural rhythm of the thing that resonates with you. Instead of, so one of the rules is that when pitchers are warming up between innings or when they come in from the bullpen in the middle of an inning, they're going to set their uh, given amount of time that they have to warm up to the clock that they've set for the advertisements to run on television between broadcasts. Like, because heaven forfend that we disrupt the advertising schedule <laughs> of the you know television networks who are you televising the games. Blacklist has a new episode coming out. <laughs> the people must know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, obviously, I know that television contracts are a huge part of how a lot of teams uh, are able to put a competitive roster on the field these days, but surely there is a middle ground where we can tweak. I mean, we're, we're so inundated with advertisements when we go to a baseball game uh, or when we watch a baseball game, every, you know, available inch of the stadium is covered in an advertisement. We have to sit through advertisements between every inning. Every single play practically is brought to us by some corporation, whether it's a, a Deer Park double play or, you know, uh, uh, WB Mason call to the bullpen, whatever it is. Do you guys, do you guys watch any soccer? Like, I mean, I do. That's 45 minutes a half. With no commercial breaks. Yep. Yep. They Just get it done. unadulterated sports. That's true. That's true. They do have to do a little bit of selling of of, of jersey space, but that's, no, that's you true. Know. <laughs> I don't really need to have a, a Yankee jersey presented by like WB Mason or something. Yeah, that would be a little bit like it. It would mess up the classic pinstripe look. I think. <laughs> but doesn't it? I mean, doesn't it strike you guys as as weird that the interest that we're catering to? On some level is well. I, I also I also feel pretty strongly that it's not like the changes that they're making, keeping David Ortiz and Adam Jones in the box slightly longer, and not getting to see those four extra pitches as a pitcher warms up between innings as you come back from commercial break. I'm not sure that's going to be enough to lure in the like attention deficit disorder crowd. <laughs> you know, like they're making these changes. I don't think the changes are going to be significant in the demographic that they hope that they're significant in. Yeah, definitely not. And I, I, it, so it, it sort of feels a little bit like deck chairs on the Titanic if you're if you if you feel like you need a new demographic to this game. Right. I don't. I don't. I don't see where that change is. And if you feel like the boat is sinking, the boat's not sinking. You know, boat's doing pretty well. Boat's, boat's doing, doing pretty boat's well. Doing okay. Boat's doing okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess you know another thing about this is. Uh, inherent in this seems to be the idea that we've decided that instant replay is a great idea that adds a lot to the sport. Who made that call? <laughs> I don't recall being consulted they about that. They don't have that. to come out of the dugout anymore, right? They don't I have believe, to come. Uh, I believe, who was it that had that uh, the no-hitter taken away from the perfect game? Yeah. 
Andre Scalaraga. Scalaraga, there we go. Yeah. Did you say Andre Scalaraga? Wait, Andre Scalaraga, Armando Galaraga. Yeah, Armando Galaraga, didn't he play like in like the late 90s? Yeah. <laughs> when home runs were home runs. Um, no, but uh, what was I going to say? What's his nickname? Was, like the, was he the big cat? He was the big cat, yeah. He right, and, and a, sure. he was a member of the, what do they call them, the Blake Street Bombers in Colorado? It was him, Dante Bichette, and uh, Vinny Castilla. By the way, I, I would like to point out that every name you just mentioned, the demographic they're going for now, none of those people know any of those names. <laughs> That's true. That's the problem, damn it. <laughs> Kids these days. No, Chris, I have a question for you. Yeah. You are an avowed uh, baseball fan, but you're also an avowed wrestling fan. Is that correct? I was so close to dropping a wrestling thing about five minutes ago. Because <laughs> the whole like fan thing, I was thinking it's like the John Cena rule of wrestling. Which is? We're, we're like... I'm I'm a fan that will go to like the independent shows in like an armory somewhere. Nice. And like they Deep know cuts. that they know that if like John Cena is the face of the company who all of my indie fan brethren hate, if he's the face, we're still gonna watch the show. Yeah. They're gonna keep feeding all these guys down our throats that they think that the greater public will love, and we won't turn off the channel. Right. And they know that, and that's that's what baseball is doing. That 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 was my John Cena rule for this. Oh, that makes sense. So the, the they they know they've got the hardcores, and so they're trying to do something to get the casuals. Yeah. So, but you are a wrestling fan, and you are a baseball fan, and I wonder if do they occupy in your mind the same part of your brain, or are they totally different things? Because it seems to me that wrestling is in some ways constant stimuli, and it seems like they make their bones on something constant. Like, there's always something happening. And I feel like baseball, in its pure form, and maybe one of the things that we're objecting to, is that there is a pace to it and there's a rhythm to it where something doesn't always have to be happening for you to be enjoying yourself. See, I, I would, I think on the surface it would appear that way, but I would disagree because some of the best matches are the ones, like, one of my favorite matches was Undertaker versus Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania about four years ago. Okay. And the match took, like, 30 minutes, 40 minutes. Oh, my God. And it was... That's exhausting. It's But it's slow build. It's pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. Slow down a little bit. It's like doing a, like any other thing, like an improv show or a TV show. You got the drama moments. You got to build them up if it's if it's all killer and none of the filler then it's it's all it becomes stagnant right right you right right, right. It down a little bit to bring it back up and i think that's what wrestling does when you really get into it right the story kind of rises and falls both between matches and in 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 in, in an individual match it's you know what it is it's green day versus the ramones <laughs> whoa if you if you guys will will accept that that comparison, all right, all right. that's that's the the metaphor has just broken my brain for a second. I need to catch up. Green Day. Well, I also think I threw a Sum Forty One reference in there with the All Killer No Filler. That was that one of the albums, I think, something like that. Cut my life into pieces. Nope, that's Papa Roach. We're we're spiraling out of control here, gentlemen. We got to bring it back. But anyway, go back to the uh, the wrestling thing. Really yes, quick. is that like I believe it's. It, when you get to the late in the match, it's like the ninth inning. Uh-huh. You kind of see where it's going, but there's so many surprises there. Then, and you don't just get to the ninth inning without watching the game first. And that's what happens in, in in wrestling. And like I guess when your seventh inning thing is those those matches happen too. There's they're called squash matches. Ah, that's when somebody comes out and beats up a, a jobber, and the thing is done. That's high pace, but for three minutes. Right. And those get those matches get boring. So but but they're they, okay filler in between the they're, they're the hot dog race of the uh <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're, they're the they're the, they're a Tuesday night uh Brewers versus uh Padres game or something. Sure. <laughs> uh, no, but clearly you mean the pre-2015 Padres. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. The the, the pre-overhauled Padres. Yeah. So they're going to change everything in that organization. Can I ask you guys uh, a one quick game sort of question because I was thinking about this the whole time? For sure. Because I, the, the, I think Alan reached out to me because he saw my rant about how other sports, the things they should change if baseball has to change these things. Sure. Yeah, yeah. How, do, was, how, do, how, does, how does it extrapolate out? And I was saying like how like football, get rid, of the no, get rid of the huddles then. Everything's no huddle. Hockey, get rid of the icing. And don't watch MLS because it's just boring overall. <laughs> <laughs> if you guys 
could make one remove one thing from one sport to make it more watchable, what would it be? Because I know Dingman, you don't watch a lot of football. I've heard it's it's true. I uh, <laughs> the other sport I watch uh, besides baseball is Broadway theater. <laughs> but so, so yeah, how do you how do you how do you make Broadway theater more watchable? No intermissions. <laughs> Really? No intermissions. Intermissions are garbage. Oh, I don't Inter- know about that. Intermissions only exist because what? The natural flow of your storytelling can't... I think it has more to do with the natural flow of the prostate and the fact that yeah. most people who go to Broadway theaters are 65 and over. Oh, like, oh. I was just at a, a, <laughs> Emma Stone in Cabaret recently, and halfway through, I'm like, I have had way too much to drink. She's got to <laughs> stop singing for a minute so I can pee. Yeah, yeah. Well... Uh, I think so this... I humbly disagree with you. <laughs> this this opens up a whole other question about you know why do you feel like uh, what what you you know you can't drink in your life outside of theater? There's there's something that compels you to spend what a hundred dollars on a Broadway ticket and then forty seven dollars on you know a Jim Beam whiskey to drink out of a sippy cup. I, I do the same thing at Madison Square Garden or Yankee <laughs> Stadium. Or... That's true. true. It's true. The NYC subway, wherever I can. <laughs> I would change the uh, the last five minutes of basketball games. I would take every uh, every time you intentionally foul someone in the last five minutes of a half, the team could choose to not shoot free throws and just take the ball. Like that, that'd be fun. So if you, you know, if you're doing the hack a shack routine, or if you're like hammering people to get them on the foul line and speed things up, or like slow things down rather to like waste time and get the ball back, I could just choose not to do that, and I could just take the ball out of bounds. You take another foul on your total team totals, and we just play on. I, see that that'd be great. I was saying the other day online, like they should even have the clock run during free throws. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Get around that. Also, I think this was a joking one, but I kind of liked it after I thought about it. Was uh, you get you get to shoot till you miss in free throws too, up till five. <laughs> but if you you can opt to stop at any time you want, but if you miss one of those ones before you opt out, you get zero points. Oh, I like that. <laughs> it's like a uh, like a who wants to be millionaire? Sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Keep going until you fuck it up. That's awesome. <laughs> I'd watch that game. Exactly. All right, Chris Luther. Well, uh, thank you very much for joining us this evening to to share your um, controversial thoughts <laughs> <laughs> on professional sports. Wait, speaking of controversial, I've got a, a video of you doing stand-up at my show that I have yet to release to the public, so that's coming out soon. Oh, yes. Please do. Please do. So so Sam is one of the people whose uh, who's stand-up cherry you popped? Yes. I did pop his stand-up cherry recently. I, uh, Chris Luther is the host of a wonderful stand-up comedy show called Cherry Pop and Standies, where he has people come on and do stand-up for the first time. And it's a great show, but I have a bit of a bone to pick with you because you bring out a rambunctious and robust crowd to a really awesome, cushy black box theater and everybody's yelling and screaming for you. You come out and you're a seasoned stand-up and you do like 10 minutes at the top of the show. So the crowd is like into it and then everybody comes out and they're already on your side they know it's your first time doing it and so it's this really wonderful revelatory experience and you get off stage and you think i can do stand-up this is a thing that i can do you're not very good at picking bones (laughs) well this is what happens though (laughs) then a week later you think to yourself i should go to the laughing buddha open mic at clemont (laughs) lounge in the east village which is literally underground (laughs) And you get up on stage and you do the routine that just one week ago made you feel like a Superman. And you are greeted with the silence and surliness <laughs> of the of downturned the eyes. <laughs> Open mics are the worst place in the world. I was I took a class at Gotham and my teacher there was like, if you get one person to chuckle to an open mic, that's a belly laugh at a real show anywhere. <laughs> it's just so sad. Interesting. So there's just like a massive laugh deflation? Because people just, it's only other comedians, and they don't want you to be funnier than them. So they're just sitting there, even if they think you're funny, they're not going to laugh. And half of them are looking at their notes anyway. This sounds miserable. You know, tell me if you feel this way. The thing that that tripped me out about about the couple of stand-up open mics that I've been to since your fantastic show is 
you go in and I'm somebody who doesn't like silence or being nervous. So I'm trying to like chat everybody else in the room up and say like, oh, you've been doing stand up a lot. Like, but, but, but nobody wants to talk to me. Everybody's just sitting in the corner, like you say, looking over their notes. Then their name gets called. They go up on stage and they're like, hey, guys, what's going on? And I'm like, no, no. You didn't earn a hey guys to me. We are not friends. We're not guys. You should ask me my name and buy me a drink. Which is why you should avoid open mics, anybody that's listening. And if you want to see actual comedy, stop by my show, Cherry Pop and Standies. There nice. we go. April 25th, May 16th, or June 27th at the Treehouse Oh, wow. Theater Look at you, York man. City. That's Run a, extended. That's, yeah, that's a, that's, a solid, uh, that's a solid slate there. Yeah, actually, they offered me four shows after Dingman. They were like, oh, that was great. If you can get that guy up there and make people laugh at him, we'll give him four shows. <laughs> well, now they're going to hear about how badly I tanked at my... Because they're all, of course, Orioles fans or Chris <laughs> Luther's fans as well over there at the Treehouse Theater. And they're going to see it was all a ruse. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, thank you, uh, Chris. What That was the weirdest segue of all time. Uh, <laughs> that's going to be edited out. Hey, guys. Out. <laughs> hey, guys. <laughs> Uh, you can find Chris Luther at chriscantlose.com and I assume uh, you at can at Chris Can't Lose on the tweeters at Chris Can't Lose on the tweeters and uh, you will probably find him again on our show later this summer when we will have uh, extensive arguments about who has been more disappointing the Orioles or the Yankees <laughs> well I think there are Yankees are going to be disappointing off, off the start so they can't disappoint me any more than they probably will <laughs> That's good. Like, if they succeed, I'll be like, what? <laughs> Keep those expectations low. If that if that happens, I just, fair warning, we're not going to have you on. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're just about out of time, but we have this week um, of the millions of fan letters that come in every week, uh, a particular commentary, I think, a particular question, I should say, has risen above the the milieu of of Baltimoreans writing to us with different questions or comments. That's right, folks. Some of you may think that we don't actually get any emails at (laughs) baltimoreanspodcast at gmail.com. Some of you may think that you send us emails and we don't monitor the inbox very well and forget to check it or see it and then forget to read it on the show because we're not very well prepared. That Neither of those things is true. Because <laughs> <laughs> what's actually true is what Alan said, that our standards are just so high yeah. that one has to come in like the one we're about to share with you for us to honor it with airtime. Listener Matt asks us, a couple of different things. One, one question he asked us, which is, I think, uh, fair and worthy of our time, which is uh, he recently acquired Chris Davis on his fantasy league. What do we think that Chris Davis' performance would be like this season, and how big of a difference do you think it will be that he's now once again allowed to take medication for whatever it is that confused him previously? But the real question is, could you sum up your expectations, Sam, for this upcoming season using a movie title? Are you more Birdman or are you more Short Circuit? Ooh, uh, well, I I will break this. Di- I will break my answer down. Uh, I will answer the questions in the order in which they were posed. Uh-huh. First, uh huh. First, I think Chris Davis is probably going to have a season roughly on par with the season he had in 2012. Okay. I think he's probably not going to hit 53 home runs again. No. But I think Chris Davis is someone who you can count on. To I think Chris Davis is basically a left-handed Mike Napoli, right? He is with maybe slightly poorer strike zone judgment, but more dependable power. And that's a valuable thing. That means that he's probably going to hit 30 home runs for us. That means he's probably going to strike out between 175 and 200 times, and but he's going to hit for a little bit higher average than Napoli does because he's willing to go the other way periodically. <coughs> I think that's a very valuable thing. I think we're probably going to end up letting him walk at the end of this season because he's going to be able to argue that he should make a boat of money when, in fact, he should only be paid a canoe thereof. I also think that the secret story of last year for Chris Davis is the oblique strain that never went away. 
and I think that he is finally healthy now. Um, I don't know whether that's going to mean that he, in fact, is able to spray the ball to all fields like he used to be able to, but he definitely has said in a few interviews that he was pulling off differently because he was afraid of hurting his back. Sure. And, you know, I think in, in the spirit of what we talked about with Buck Showalter and not getting overcomplicated about these things, we all know what Chris Davis's weakness is. Chris <laughs> Davis's weakness is the breaking ball down and in, which he's going to flail at and miss every single time. It's the same pitch that Adam Jones flails at and misses from the other side of the plate. And if Chris Davis can stop doing that, or if he can at least stop getting himself into counts where that pitch is going to be thrown, he'll be great. And uh, if he if Adderall helps with that, or whatever drug he's decided is necessary for his attention deficit disorder can help with that, that's great. I am not a doctor. Adderall doesn't seem to me like something that, that helps you lay off breaking balls. But if it helps Chris Davis do that... God bless. <laughs> Uh, in terms of what movie title mm-hmm. I would give the what the 2015 Orioles, um, let's go with uh, how about Back to the Future? Because I think uh, what we're what we're talking about is I, I think we know that the narrative this season is can Davis Machado and Weeders mm. be. Uh, make up for the departure of Cruz and Marquecas. Can it happen? Um, and if they can do that, that sets us up for a very bright future and means that going into next season, even if we lose uh, Chris Davis but retain Matt Wieters, um, and as we discussed, sign Machado to an extension, we've set ourselves up very well for a long time and and have the legitimate core that we've waved about, raved about for a long time. I would also say, just very quickly, uh, it was mentioned this week that uh, Showalter thinks Hunter Harvey might come up and pitch out of the bullpen this year. Yep. This also seems like it's pretty likely to be the year of Bundy, depending, the year of the Bundy. depending how he does. Uh, in the minor leagues coming up and possibly cracking the rotation towards the end of the season. This is the year where we start to find out what we have on our hands there. Um, So I'm going to go with Beck to the future. All right. Well, I think from Matt's uh, examples here, he was looking for a current, like, sort of Oscar-nominated buzz movie. Well, Short Circuit. But. Short short, short Circuit? That's like an 80s movie, isn't it? No, I don't know. What is Short Circuit? (laughs) Matt, what is Short Circuit? I think it's like an (laughs) 80s movie that has Sarah Jessica Parker in it. Okay. Well, I'm going to go with... That's Square Pegs and it's a TV show. Never mind. I'm going to go with <laughs> Selma okay. as my movie title. Man! Uh, heavy loved, on the controversy, but, Smith. No, but for this for this reason, uh, universally adored by the people, but judged harshly by the critics in its lack of Oscar, uh, Oscar wins, I think much like... This year's Orioles, they will once again be poo-pooed by the 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 hoi polloi of baseball punditry, but somehow manage to win the hearts and minds of many. So, in fact, I'm it's glad not, we came out on the right side not, of yeah. the Selma comparison. <laughs> it's, it's it's a it's a high wire act comparing anything to the movie Selma. <laughs> but I think I think it. I could also have gone with the Lego Movie, which is, <laughs> follows the same basic set of principles, but uh, is maybe a little bit less controversial. Right. Thank you very much, Matt, for your email. Thank you very much, Chris, for joining us tonight. Uh, don't forget to check out chriscantlose.com, where you can find out more about Chris's comedic adventures. You, ladies and gentlemen, should give us your reviews mm. in the iTunes store. We also accept money. You can, yeah, we do. You should also give us your tweets uh, at, at B-Morons. B-Morons. If anyone's wondering about the full URL for that, nope, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> we should also mention, uh, we have mentioned, I think, two of our Sister Wife podcasts. Are we still Sister Wife podcasts with the the, the 336 boys? Is it, they're, as near as I can tell, now part of uh, yet a third network. There's a, three, there's a third network? Well, so they were Baltimore Sports Report Network. Okay. Then they were the Realm Network. Now the sounder at the beginning of their show identifies a different network. So I don't know what's going on over there. We need some clarification, Srokas. Are we are we or are we not sister wives? The good news is they're they're still putting out great shows. Who whoever the other, the other good news is you can go over to baltimoresportsreport.com and you can listen to a series of fantastic programming about Baltimore sports from the Orioles to the other teams that are in Baltimore. Yes. I don't know why you do that because the rest of the teams are silly. But there's anyway. even, there's a hockey show. Yeah, I know. It's great. It's called What the Puck. 
Anyway, anyway, we're trying to get out of this. Would you stop interrupting us, Baltimoreans? We're trying to close this show. <laughs> uh, the music on the show, as always, was our theme song by Marshall York. The song Working for Another Song by Town Hall. The interstitial music is the song Birdland by Weather Report. And here on the outro, you're listening to Kicking My Heart Around by the Black Crows, who are birds themselves. Now, Smith, do you have anything else to add? I have one real question for you, Sam, before we go. Hit me. What would you call Henry Yerudia? Yes. If he was a six and a half hour long, softly pornographic romantic film. Henry Caligurudiella? <laughs> Did I get it? I was going for Henry the Color Blue Rudia. <laughs> I don't know how long Caligula is, but (laughs) that probably also will play. Baltimoreans is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find, find more podcasts like this at baltimoresportsreport.com.